Before you listen to my great conversation with Jeff Skin Wade, I just wanted to give a warning for everyone out there that may listen with their kids that there is some language in this show. Uh, I'm not going to beep it out or anything like that. So if you do have kids that are listening, please be advised. But this is a great conversation with the great Jeff Skin Wade. I'm Luka Doncic, and this is Locked On Mavericks Podcast. No, no, this no. is going to be huge. Yeah. 360 in the contract. Never that. I just take the contact. I bring it back. I'm running on the fast break behind the back. Yeah, this that, this that, this that. Dirk with the And welcome. You are locked on to the Dallas Mavericks. My name is Nick Angstead, and joining me, friend of the pod. You know him from Mavs broadcasts and the Mighty Eagle. It's Jeff Skin Wade. What you got for me, Jeff Skin Wade? Nick, you did a very good job there. I felt like you were about to say 105.3, the fan out of habit. But you did a good job. You pulled back. You nailed the Mavs broadcast. And then you got the Mighty Eagle in there. 97 won the Mighty Eagle. I am, it, you know, I had this conversation with a buddy of mine today. You know, we're wearing these habits. You're going, hey, man, how you doing? You know, because you just kind of do that. And then you stop after you said and go, well, all things considered in the world, how you doing? <laughs> you know, like relatively right. speaking, how are you doing? And so relatively speaking, I have zero complaints. I'm doing very well. How about you, Nick? Yeah, yeah, about that. Relatively speaking, uh, I wish Matt, I wish the Mavs were still playing. I wish we could still see Luca and Porzingis play, especially because this podcast is a daily Maverick show. I uh, wish we had more games for sure, but... Other than man, that, that is that, that's going. the grindiest of grinds right there, man. Yeah, we're doing it. Well, you that's guys, like I mean, the, you guys are doing every day still too, right? We are, but you know what we're doing at the Eagle is so free form. Uh, in fact, when I'm finishing up with you here, we're going to go do a. We're calling it Ben and Skin After Dark, where we're just kind of doing a Facebook user group thing, where it's me and Ben and KT and Christina from our show, and we're just going to. Pop into our Ben and Skin Facebook user group and zoom it up. So, uh, you know, I guess uh, I guess the show never stops, so to speak. No, you are the show. The show is you. Yeah, well, and and that's uh, that's kind of like why we left and went to the new station is so we could sort of do the things that we wanted to do without having someone barking at us all the time. <laughs> Isn't that what we all want? yes someone not barking until 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 we get fired you know just kind of stay there in that mode so (laughs) there you go well on today's show we're going to talk with skin about uh the mavs past present future it's what we've been doing with some of the biggest mavs fans and skin is one of the biggest mavs fans he's you know such a big mavs fan they put him on tv for it so uh, how about that let's start with this let's start with the present what's been your favorite part of this Mavs season um I think I would say how well they performed record-wise in comparison to all the um, just inconsistency and incongruent nature of getting all these new players that are so important to the team all together on the floor at the same time. I think, like, you know, as you go through and, uh, you know, I follow you on Twitter and I follow Bobby Corella and there's a lot of guys that, you know, have a lot of good – Twitter post, you know, about the state of the team and stuff. And I've kind of had this feeling about, you know, you really don't know what this team is because the core of what it's supposed to be hasn't had proper time together. And, you know, I think, for example, all the discussion about the end of game stuff, it's frustrating and it's real and it's tangible. 
but there wasn't a whole lot of times where I felt like the end of games was a great representation of what the team was trending towards and a good representation of what they actually are because I felt like it was a steady climb. And I felt like a lot of the things that were frustrating were going to be rectified over the course of playing together and being in those situations and the guys that matter in those situations getting healthy and being with one another. And I know that kind of sounds obtuse, but the best example I can give, uh, you know, younger guys like yourselves, uh, like you, you, you probably, I can't imagine you were old enough to remember Nash and Dirk and Finley in 2001 and two, were you? I mean, do you yeah. remember those days very well? well? In 2002, yeah, I would have been like 11. So not even, I wasn't okay. even living in Dallas at the time, so I definitely don't remember it. Some people my age might remember it a little better, but I definitely don't. They might, and, and quite frankly, people your age, your 11-year-old sports experience was far different than my 11-year-old <laughs> sports experience right. uh, just because of technology in the day and age and all those things. But I know when I was 11 – I was not watching basketball critically. No. <laughs> you know, I was uh, – and so what I'm saying is, is if I could take, you know, guys your age back to 2001 and 2002, there was a lot of discussion in local media about, how, you know, hey, these guys are good, but none of them can close. So I just want all young Maverick fans to listen right now to realize there was a point in time where Dirk was still – considered early part of an all-star caliber player, but he wasn't a quote-unquote closer. That's real. That happened. And so I can take, you know, even uh, let's make it more tangible. Go back to the early parts of LeBron's career where every single thing he did at the end of games was micromanaged. Yeah. Hell, uh, yesterday on, the, on NBA TV when they were showing the 2011 NBA Finals, that was 27-year-old LeBron, right? So... We, we always want things to happen faster than they really do. And I know I sound like an old man here, <laughs> but you know, I'm, I'm talking a lot and in circles to get to the idea of what this current Maverick team is and where it was headed. We hadn't even scratched the surface or seen it yet. So when I, I would see a lot of frustrations about the end of games and things like that, I'm like, man, we're basing this on hardly anything. And really it comes down to, do you believe in those players? And if you, you know, have some abstract reason to believe that those guys don't know are never going to be clutch basketball players, which I don't believe that, I felt really good about the way that the thing was tracking and where it was going. Oh, yeah. And the, the end of games conversation, we've had it. We've broken it down on this pod, so I don't have to tell our audience about that. But uh, it has been such a small sample size, and it's such an, it's such an advanced thing to be worried about with this team specifically, considering their age. I mean... And we were Mavs fans have been very spoiled. I think is a good term uh, from last year. Luca was so good in clutch games, and for that to be a thing that is the only part of his game really that has regressed is kind of amazing, right? <laughs> I just have to keep reminding myself that this guy is still, you know, he just turned twenty one. He could just drink in the United States <laughs> a couple weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. I think the other thing too is, you know, without going in there and micro breaking it down the nature of last year's clutch games versus the nature of this year's clutch games are vastly different because of the expectations. Like there's the whole intangible thing of your everyday, Hey, here's an NBA game and there's three minutes to go. Uh, who's going to win uh, versus, Hey, this has playoff implications. That's a totally different style. You know, I had a lot of fun, um, you know, going back to yesterday and watch, I was watching game four 
And that was the game where the Mavericks started, uh, you know, having Tyson set more screens on the on the ball handler and pulling Dirk and the help defense away from the basket. Those are high-level decisions made in the course of NBA Finals for clutch situations. And just think about how good the end of those games were in Miami when they were using the double drag screen. So it's all situational, and the stakes get higher, and these things change. And so, you know, when you're having these questions, you ask yourself, do you actually believe in the group of players? And I unequivocally believe in the group young group of players that Donnie and and Rick and Mark have put together. Absolutely. And so now my next question, if the season sort of ended the way that it is right now and the Mavericks were matched up against the Clippers, let's say, and they decided to Mm -hmm. go through with it, um, you know, with the playoffs and do a seven game series in the first round, how would you feel about this Mavs team's chances against a Clippers team? Is uh, before I go further, I, you know, you do a lot of stuff with Isaac, and he's a very uh, sweet, good-natured man. Am I allowed <laughs> to cuss on this podcast? Absolutely, man. Fuck that matchup. Um, <laughs> that's the uh, yeah. there. There is such a thing as a bad matchup, and and for the record, I have been steadfast from day one that the best team in the NBA is the Clippers. Yeah, and I thought that. You know, much like it's a different level of circumstances, but like the Clippers team that was you were going to see in April and May was nothing like the Clipper team that they've been fiddle farting around with all year long. You know, right now, you know, we can start splitting hairs, but right now in the current NBA, Kawhi Leonard's the best player in the world. And he's and he proved it. And he was going to continue to prove it. And he is in his prime. He is the current best player in the league. And he has Paul George as his running mate and Lou Williams and Montrez Hare. That team, oh, and Pat, that team is awesome. And they were just farting around because the season didn't matter. Yeah, Lakers go, do whatever. It's cool. See you in the playoffs. Right. And so, you know, I would hate for the Mavericks to go and start their first playoff run against the best team in the world that is about to show everybody what they're made of. That's a crappy matchup. Um, but you, you you play the team that uh, you have to play, and you hope to get valuable lessons out of it and hopefully make it a five- or six-game series. And, you know, five-game series. Hell, the Oklahoma City Thunder with Durant and Russ and Harden couldn't even get Pat couldn't even get to game six against that 2011 Mavericks. When you have a championship-caliber team going up against young guys, if you can get – you know, if you can get to game six, that's a freaking miracle. So that's the one matchup I didn't want. I actually, I, it's, that sounds stupid. The Lakers would win the series, but I didn't mind the Laker matchup. I mean, I think if you go in and look at these games the Mavericks have played against the Lakers, I like that matchup. And I'd be real interested to see when they got to the playoffs if the Lakers were going to keep rolling all those big boys out there. It's like that uh, Bobby said this, you know, and other people have this theory. Big guys are for the regular season you know, talented wings are for the playoffs. So the way the Lakers had been beating people, were they going to roll out there with all those big dudes? I don't know. And if they are, I think I like my chances. So the Clipper matchup was the worst matchup for really anybody to get, but especially the young Maverick team. Yeah, absolutely. And so you feel like it would be probably a five-game series. I'd be – you know what I'd want, man? I'd be real happy if it was a five-game series and the average – 
margin of victory for the Clippers was like five or six. <laughs> you know, I'd, <laughs> right. I'd be, I mean, it's not, it's not what I want, but you know, I'm, I've been watching the NBA long enough to have reasonable expectations about a young team going up against the buzzsaw. So uh, that's just the way it goes. But I, I you know, I, I think like, I believe this, I've said this many times on broadcast and stuff. If you're just trying to make the playoffs with a young team, you know, late March and early April games are playoff games because the, the magnitude of the situation increases and those moments become larger and guys have to react to those moments. So to me, it wasn't, you know, this Maverick team was clearly going to make the playoffs, but it wasn't like if they missed the playoffs, it would have been the end of the world because they would have been playing. You know, when you have a group of young guys that are ahead of schedule, you just want them to play meaningful basketball and get that experience. And I know it's different with Luca because he's played championship basketball all over the world, but uh, you know, I, I, I liked, I mean, I, I personally think we would have beaten or I say, we am a Maverick fan. <laughs> I think we would have beaten the Rockets. And that, that goes for this surge in small ball and what they're doing. You know, what the Rockets did in that final couple of weeks of the season, dude, they had to do that. Right. That was their only option was to go small. Otherwise, that was that team was that was head to a to a Viking funeral, man. That thing with those bloated contracts and the age of those guys, they had to just uh, go nuts with it. I mean, I respect the decision, but now that we're now that they made it, I wanted to see that work out over the course of the seven game playoff series. So, if I was looking at teams that the Mavericks could end up playing, I wanted the Rockets. I thought that was a great matchup for the Mavericks. Yeah, that's been Isaac's team this whole time. Uh, if it wasn't the Grizzlies, right? If you had to just pick one of the playoff teams, he picked the Rockets as a team that he would really want to face. And lost in all that is that Clint Capella still hasn't played, right? He he was just not going to be available for them, so they had to give up something for him, you know, to to be able to have a viable player because their window is just so small, like you said, with the bloated contracts and and it's and it's and you know Tim McMahon has done an amazing job highlighting this. It is a highly dysfunctional situation. So, like, you know, when the players know the coach is gone and there's a new owner and he's a, you know, crazy, narcissistic, rich guy, <laughs> I mean, that's – everybody there knows, you know, that they know the situation they're in. So, really, the best thing that they could possibly do – and I'm not advocating or dismissing small ball one way or the other. I'm just saying that's truly their only option. That was – that was standing at the edge of the cliff looking over moment. That's what they had to do. So I would much rather play the team that's like, well, we're going to have to reinvent basketball to win. Let's go. You know, that's that's the team I would rather have to play. Yeah. Oh, for sure. All right, coming up, let's look back at past Mavs teams. Let's talk about when Skin actually became a Mavs fan. But before we do, sports have come to a screeching halt. With basketball benched and pitchers off the mound, our friends at MyBookie aren't going to let you down. Stay sane and stay entertained with access to your favorite games like Blackjack, Roulette, Slots, War, and more. It doesn't matter whether you're out on the front lines or quarantined at home, the fun doesn't have to come to an end with my bookie. And if video poker is not your thing but you still need a fix, they've got you covered with a host of live casino dealers online. That's right, they have professional dealers at their table, live on-site 24-7. Your favorite squad sidelined because of the pandemic, like the Mavs right now. Don't sweat it, MyBookie has partnered with some of the leading esports brands to bring you wagers on virtual action straight from the court in NBA 2K20. Plus, you can always do your part to make your bankroll great again by taking advantage of the shifting odds on political bets. Oh boy. You can trust 
trust the industry leaders in times like these. They're reliable, upright, and best of all, they pay fast when you win. Visit mybookie.ag and use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA for a 150% bonus on your first casino deposit. That's promo code LOCKEDONNBA, a 150% cash bonus on your first deposit, and you can claim these extra funds all the way up to $750. Again, use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA to activate the offer. That's promo code LOCKEDONNBA. You spin, you win, you get paid. MyBookie.ag, promo code LOCKEDONNBA. All right, let's move into um, some of the Mavs past. You talked about watching the 2011 team. You know, we were all pretty nostalgic watching that team on NBA TV the other day. When did Jeff Skin Wade become a Mavs fan? Uh, so, um, I guess it was probably about 81-ish, 82. Um, my dad was not a season ticket holder the first year, but he was the second year. Hmm. And... Um, uh, so I went to all those games at Reunion Arena. Um, so I've been there since just about the beginning. And I was also uh, an avid, avid basketball fan. I just consumed every bit of it. And so back then, they, they used to have this thing called Basketball Digest, where it was a weekly, uh, and you would get it like a week late, but it was a collection of you know local basketball articles in the newspaper all compiled. And then, you know, they would send it out and you would, and so I read everything there was to read. I knew every player. Uh, and this is, you know, you would have to get it from game programs and things like that. Sometimes the newspaper would print more extended stat sections, uh, but I was, um, I was just always very obsessive about it. That was my sport. My dad was a basketball coach. We would, uh, the early days of, well, I guess I should say the later days of the Southwest conference tournament basketball tournament was played at reunion arena as well. And back then university of Houston was badass. Uh, university of Arkansas was badass. I mean, like elite caliber programs, SMU had an amazing program. Uh, Larry Johnson was supposed to go to SMU and they were just coming mm-hmm. off the death penalty in football. So they questioned his test score. So he gave them the middle finger and went to junior college and then UNLV. <laughs> but had Larry Johnson's, you know, stayed here in Dallas and gone to SMU, they probably would have won a national championship. So basketball around here, college basketball was just exceptional. And so we would go to all the Southwest conference games and tournaments. We went to every Mav game. So my Mav fandom truly does go back to those first couple years at the beginning of the franchise. I could tell you so many just nerdy, funny things about those early teams. I mean, I remember all of it. Well, let's let's dive into that. What's uh, maybe your favorite team that wasn't the 2011 team, or a team that you know some somebody like me wouldn't remember? Well, um, I guess you know it's so it, the team the '88 team is so complex, man. Because on paper they could have beaten the Lakers, and they did take them to seven games. And I just I idolized Derek Harper. I just loved, loved, loved Derek hmm. Harper, but. Uh, Roy Tarpley was just a freak and so, so good. And he had issues that, you know, sidetracked his career, but there was no matchup for him. I mean, dude, he was just incredible. His size, the way he could run the floor, uh, being able to face up. I mean, he was just so, so good. And, you know, Mark Aguirre has always been a real, I don't know, lightning rod player for me personally. Because in my mind at that time, he quit on the team. 
that may be an unfair assessment. Okay. Uh, and you know, I, I've got a reasonably close relationship with Harp and he's never said anything negative about Mark Aguirre. Like I've even kind of, Hey, what about, you know, he, he will not <laughs> say anything negative about Mark Aguirre. So that makes me look at him a little differently. But in my mind, Aguirre quit on the team, and then we traded him to the Pistons, and we got broke down Adrian Dantley, who didn't want to be here. And that was the beginning of the end. But those 80s teams with the backcourt of Derek Harper and Rolando Blackman were so, so fun. And they ran great stuff. They ran all the same stuff that the really great jazz teams with Carl Malone and John Stockton ran uh, because Jerry Sloan actually played for Dick Mata, but all that backdoor cut stuff, all those little curls, that that's what those Mavericks team ran. They really moved the ball. Well, um, Harp was badass. I mean, he's such a good player, dude. And, um, and so, you know, obviously that 88 team, you know, got to game seven of the Western conference finals and all that. But my favorite Maverick teams were the mid eighties teams they were, to me, the way the 2002 and 2001 Maverick teams were for the younger guys, where, oh, my God, this can really be something. And back then, Harp was coming off the bench, and Brad Davis was an exceptional player, dude. He was exceptional. I know people go back and they'll look at footage. He's got this crazy perm, and it's like, <laughs> oh, dude, he was he was badass, and he never made mistakes. And he ran that thing to a T. And he had Rolando Blackman, who wanted the ball every time. And Mark Aguirre, who wanted the ball every single time. And then back then, he had to throw it in the post. But he kept everybody happy. And uh, he was just a great point guard. Uh, and Dale Ellis would come off the bench and drain threes. And it was just such a fun, fun team to root for. That I, I have such – even before they reached their peak and tar play, oh, and dude, Sam Perkins was so great. Sam Perkins was money. So those were those are like I have a big affinity for those teams because those are the teams that you know I would get out of school in seventh and eighth grade and we would go down to Reunion Arena and watch those teams. So those are the ones that I really care about. Is it pretty surreal now sitting next to Derek Harper every single broadcast because you idolized him at that point in your life? Yeah, you know what? That's surreal. And I tell you what is even crazier is like when he asked me my opinion on something <laughs> that makes that that makes me feel i can't tell you how good that makes me feel that like man this guy and it's not uh he's not it's it, it's not just uh you know throwaway conversation you can tell like the way he'll ask you something that he wants to know what you think and dude there's a lot of times he'll disagree with you but uh he'll disagree with you respectfully and it's it, that's surreal and and one of my all-time favorite moments just in the history of the job or hell just being alive is standing next to harp during dirk Nowitzki's ceremony at the aac that mm. was just chill inducing every moment of it like at one point i, I might have put my head on his shoulder at one point <laughs> like a muppet or something i don't know it's, but he goes <laughs> You know, because the legends come out there, right? right? And Dirk doesn't know the legends are coming out, and then he sees them, and he's just floored. And Harp has such an amazing respect for the history of basketball. He really knows the history of basketball. And um, so the, those, you remember when they were passing the mic down, and they passed the mic to Larry Bird. And think about this. Harp went up against Larry Bird, right? Yeah. 
it's a little bit different because, you know, different conferences and you only play those teams twice a year, you know, back then, uh, still now, but back, you know, you don't, it's not like playing the Lakers where he has to cover magic Johnson and dude, back then, uh, you would play your division six times. Yeah. So like the Mavs and the jazz and the Spurs and the Rockets and the Nuggets, they, they would play each other six times in a year. But anyways, to get back to the, the other idea, the mic goes to Larry Bird, and he's about to talk. And, you know, there's just this rush in the building. And Harp's looking forward, dude, and he goes, Larry fucking legend. <laughs> and it was, just this, it was just this moment of just like, I just felt so special to be standing next to him because he played that guy, but just the history and the importance of it and knowing what it means to Dirk and to this franchise and all that. It it was just this uh, just this incredible zenith of basketball ecstasy, man. I was just standing there going, God, I'm standing next to this guy who's in awe of Larry Bird, who flew in to give tribute to Dirk, and this is all just happening in front of me. I was like, as someone that just you know, basketball's meant so much to. That was extraordinarily special. I, I just I'll never forget that. Yeah, it kind of feels at this point in that you know past players have been sort of watered down in how good they were because you look back and the stats are a little inflated right now and you just look back and you you've heard these names so often magic bird you're like you've heard these names so often but to actually remember you know how good they were and to hear Derek Harper you know a guy that played against them say something like that it just reminds you that man like this guy was he was one of the he is one of the greats <laughs> it just it's yeah, good to remember and that. and, and it, it it really is extraordinary and the other thing too um there's some really good you know they do the nostalgia stuff and there's some really good highlight packages where you can go back and watch stuff and just be blown away but one of the things that's really hard for people to do when you're talking about the good old days and all that crap (laughs) is to contextualize it. And so like, for example, like I'm a big film buff. And so, you know, on our show, you know, I'm closing in on 50, but you know, we have KP and Christina and they're 30 in their early thirties. Right. And so I'll be like, Oh my God, you guys haven't seen the Godfather. You've got to see the Godfather. And so they'll watch it and they'll be like, Hey, you know, it's kind of boring, man. (laughs) And it's like, okay. But if you'd seen it, you know, 30 years ago and compare it to the stuff that it came out with at the time. So, you know, if you watch, you know, highlights of the 80s, you're like, uh, okay, but dude, LeBron just took off from the free throw line right. in traffic. And it's like, you got to contextualize this stuff. That's why the Dominique Wilkins highlights are just so bananas. Like Dominique Wilkins was doing dunk contest stuff in games. Like it was just nuts but the the sort of very few people have it uh but the basketball sixth sense that magic and larry bird had is was just so unique and extraordinary luca's got it that's why luca's an mvp candidate luca has it luca sees things before they happen the only other guy you know nash did a little bit Mm -hmm. um uh, he did. He, he was really good at creating these angles off the dribble, um, but just to see these other things before they develop. The two guys in Maverick history that did it like nobody else were Luca and Kid. Those were the guys. There's this. I don't even remember the name of it because it sucks so bad. But there was this movie where Nick Cage could see like five seconds into the future, and that was always my joke about Jason Kidd. You know, I was like, 
he's just he sees five seconds into the future. And th- those are those passes where you see Bird and Magic made those passes every game, dude. Every game. Uh, just incredible. And that thing, too, is go back and watch how crammed up it was back then. There's possessions where 10 dudes are all inside the three-point line. Yeah. And that's like, what? And they were still, like, seeing all these things develop. It's just, it was a really fun time to watch basketball. The 80s were really amazing. Um, Derek Harper, I feel like his sort of legend has been a little lost. He's been on the broadcast. He becomes sort of a, uh, you know, people make fun of some of the things that he says on, on broadcasts and things, and we poke fun at him on, on this show for sure. But what type of player was, was Derek Harper? Why was he so good? How did, why did he get his jersey retired? Like, for people that didn't watch him, including myself, like what type of player yeah. was he and how, how good was he? Okay, uh, and the game is different now, obviously. But imagine if Pat Beverly was a highly skilled offensive player. Imagine if the tenacity with which Pat Beverly played and defended you, that guy could also come down and give you 18 and 9 a night. That's what Derek Harper was. Uh, The real famous quote, I'm sure I'm butchering it, uh, because I'm, you know, Harp is, I don't know how old Harp is. I'm guessing he's about a decade older than me. Maybe not he's that much. 58. I'm, uh, on his, I'm on his basketball reference okay. page. Okay. So I'm, yeah, I'm 48. So he's a decade older than me. And I'm closing in on the point where all you young assholes are making fun of me. So <laughs> I get it. Um, well, you know, it's Harp all fair was, game, right? Even for us on no. this podcast. <laughs> oh, dude, you should have heard what a jerk I was when I was 27. Good <laughs> God. I thought I knew everything. Um, so uh, I would say that um, it's just, you know, he was so tenacious, uh, just defended like every possession was the last possession, but he had great offensive skills. And, and uh, the, the, the quote that I'm butchering that I remember Pat Riley saying is Derek Harper's the best basketball player in the history of the NBA to not make an all-star game. Wow. And, the reason was was because it was Magic and Stockton and, and all those got Clyde Drexler. You know, before Dwayne Wade came along, a lot of people thought Clyde Drexler was the third best two guard of all time. Right. So uh, I, I don't know if you, if you guys, are, you know, Clyde Drexler was extraordinary. Um, but uh, but yeah, Harp was just he was he was the best point guard in the West that wasn't Magic or Stockton. And those guys are top 50 all-time NBA players. So, you know, you kind of get overshadowed. But Harp was, God, man, if you go back and watch, like, those 88 teams, he was he was so, so good, dude. So good, and he was a leader, and his teammates respected him and loved him. And if you talk shit, he'd pop you in your fucking grill. And he was just he, – he's just – I mean, he, he's – I, I can't say enough nice things about him. Uh, and I'm talking about as a player. I mean, I love the dude. He's a great dude. But, ju- I mean, I just so admired him. Because I, when I played, I was a point guard, and I wanted to be like him. I wanted to be tough like him and mm. never back down and, and all those kinds of things. So he, he was a great point guard uh, to be your team's point guard if you lived in this area. He had so many admirable qualities. Let's spend one last question looking forward on this current Mavericks team, the 2020 team. Um, let's just start there. If the Mavericks don't add another big piece, what do you think is the ceiling for this Mavs team if they just grow together? Um, that's a really good question. Um, because you, you look at, okay, 
where can they, with this group, where can they truly get better from within? And uh, Tim McMahon was giving me shit about this because I said this on a podcast uh, with me and Bobby, but I stand behind this. The the story of this season, that who knows if we ever play it, <laughs> was Maxi Kleba and Dorian Finney-Smith. Yeah. That's the story of the season. Because if you go into the season, you talk about expectations of players, nobody thought that both of those guys would make 103-point shots and be your two best defensive players. And as good as Maxi was defensively last year, he was better this year. That guy, you know, when people talk about 3 and D players, they talk about wings. He's a 3 and D player. He just so happens to be able to cover you in the post, too. That, that performance he rolled out against Zion, you kidding me? Harp was talking to Antonio Daniels at halftime and of that game, and Antonio Daniels goes, nobody's covered Zion like that this year. Nobody. Yeah. Um, so to me, it's like we go, how can you say that? Luke is averaging a 30-point triple-double. He's, it's like, okay, but I thought he was going to be an elite player this year. So he's incrementally more elite than I thought he would be. And then I thought Porzingis was going to be your leading scorer this year. Me it too. took him a while to get there. I think we saw it in the last couple weeks. But just because I thought teams were going to flood Luka, take the ball out of his hands, and it was going to find Porzingis, and he would light it up. And we started to see it in the last three to four weeks of the season. Um, so what Porzingis started doing, that doesn't surprise me. I thought he was going to be an elite player. All right, so what's next? DeLon Wright was about what I thought he was going to be. When Seth Curry could stay healthy, he did for this team what I thought he was going to be able to do for this team. So then you start looking at the guys that exceeded expectations uh, significantly and to a huge level were Dorian and Maxie. So then you start going, okay, and Tim, are those guys going to get – what's that? Oh, and Tim Hardaway Jr. too. Okay, so Tim's interesting. I'm not going to sit here and pat myself on the back and say <laughs> that I predicted Tim would be as efficient as he was. But I would say, uh, you know, the, the guy I kept referencing on that was Monte Ellis. Mm. One, I thought he would be the third leading scorer just because he's really the only guy that can just get his own shot. You may not like the shot, but he can get his own shot. He's <laughs> done that. He's done that his whole career. But uh, when we acquired Monte Ellis, I had some friends that were national writers, and they were giving me a hard time about some of my tweets about getting Monte. And I was like – Monte Ellis is a really good player. And they're like, well, yeah, but he's inefficient. I go, dude, everybody's inefficient on shitty teams. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, who's the who's the real efficient guy that, that's out there just hey, killing it on a bad team? I go, you guys don't understand pl- what playing with Dirk does for good players. Uh, J- they're going to hang Jason Terry's rafter in the jersey. I'm sorry, jersey in the rafter. He's a good player. I love Jet. But he's going to have his jersey retired because he played with Dirk. If you spend your career going right off of a Dirk screen, you're going to have opportunities. And if you're a good player, you'll take advantage of them. And Jet did that. And so I was like, you don't understand what Monte is going to do coming off of a Dirk screen. And look what he did. And, and so my whole point is that Tim Hardaway Jr. has tons of ability. Did the Knicks overpay him? Yes. But it's not like they just gave that contract out as a guy who won a contest. The guy can play. And so when you put him on the floor with Luca and Porzingis and Rick System, and a good player is going to step up. And so he's, he was hitting uh, at a higher rate than I thought he would hit at. 
But I thought he was going to be the third leading scorer, and I thought he was going to be an important guy. I thought he'd be coming off the bench. But so anyway, so that that's a long way of saying of all those guys we're talking about, in order for this group, quote-unquote, this group to get better, uh, I don't know how these guys play – much better than they are playing individually, if that makes sense. It's really going to come down to, okay, can Luka and KP be, you know, LeBron and Anthony Davis? That's how this group gets even a step or two better. And I I think, I'm assuming you feel the same way, I think they can be that caliber of a duo. So I do think they have maneuverability to get more guys that are going to matter. But it's really for this group to be better, it's just – how much better do the Wonder Twins get? Uh, because I think everybody else is uh, pretty much more than holding up their end of the bargain. So can this team, as currently constructed, win a title? Say they play some more games together. I think there's some chemistry that you can work on there. This team has good chemistry, but you know, in clutch games and situations like that, they can get better. But this team, as constructed, do you think they can win a title? Or do, they have to, or do you think they I, need to add something? I think they I think they can, but I think it's two years minimum away. And I'm not even talking about including this year, right? Right. If if if, if this is your team, um, and the and you get relative health, then I think what Luca and KP need to be is two years away, is what I would say. Uh, but I do think that you know extraordinary players have such a incredible and just just what I was just talking about with Monte and Dirk or whatever. You know, uh, even watching these 2011 finals, when you look out on the floor and go, wait, that team won a championship? There's only <laughs> one guy that can score right now. Right. Um, and so Luca and KP make everyone, give everyone a, such an opportunity to be so much better that, yes, those two guys as the crux of your team can win a championship. And that's saying that without even knowing who the other 12 guys are, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. So if you look at the history of what Donnie's been able to do, and I think the most extraordinary thing that people forget is that in the era of teams that basically won it every year, there's like four or five teams that won it every year over a you know 15-year span or whatever, the Mavericks went to two finals five years apart, only sharing two players, and that's Dirk and Jet. And so what does that say? about really what Donnie's been able to do, which has been extraordinary. Because those teams that were going every year kept Duncan and Tony Parker and Ginobili together forever. Or they kept Kobe and Shaq together, and then they got lucky to get – you know what I'm saying? Right. It's like taking two, for the most part, completely different teams to the finals five years apart in that era, that's extraordinary, uh, an extraordinary account of your ability to build a team. And so knowing that they're sitting here with the tough putt, the tough part already done. They're sitting here with Porzingis and Luca and those guys are 25 and younger. <laughs> yeah. They're going to put guys around those two that can win championships. There's no doubt. Absolutely. There you go. There's Jeff skin Wade. Uh, you can listen to him on the mighty Eagle 97 one. That's the call. That's the number 97 one. The Eagle It's on the iHeart app. You can just punch, been in skin in there and then all that good stuff there you go and you guys already follow him on twitter i'm sure so jeff skin wade thank you so much for joining us hey thanks let's do it again nick absolutely peace out boom